Praise God. Man, it is good to be here today. Can you say amen? Before we get started uh, this morning, I want to take just a, a minute or two and thank all the people that were involved in our sanctuary remodel. How many enjoy the sanctuary remodel, man? This is, it turned out well. Um, there's several people that just need to be named because they really did uh, put a lot of work in. I uh, just want to thank Mike Fields and his boys, Seth and uh, Israel. They helped out a lot. Kevin Vandeman, uh, Coy Coast, Jason Andrew, of course, uh, Gabe Brown, uh, Matthew McDermott, uh, Bill Frank, Alex Chadsey, Luke Schneider. These guys really did work a lot to make this happen, and um, it has exceeded my expectations. And so I'm just thrilled. We have a few little things that we've got to get done. There's some little details that we've got to finish up and some lighting uh, things that we're going to do to bring a little bit of color to the stage and, and that kind of thing. But uh, 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 for the most part, the, the remodel is done. And for those of you out there in, in Facebook land, if you haven't come in and seen it, you need to because a, a picture doesn't do it justice. You need to see it in per person. And there's a great atmosphere in here. And boy, I'll tell you what, you guys look good. And, and I'm just looking over this congregation. I'm thinking, you are a good-looking bunch of people. Amen. There's a few exceptions, but you'll remain. Not really. Not really. Not really. You're all good-looking. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to turn to our text. We're going to continue to move on in our uh, series on spiritual warfare. And so I want to begin by reading the text that we read uh, last week in 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. This is what the Bible says. It says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Now, <clears throat> I want to stop right there just for a moment, and I want to emphasize to you how important that statement is. Um, that is a statement, that's one of those things that we need to uh, put into our lives and, and get it solid inside of us. And the, the, here's why. There's far too many Christians that are being overcome by the world. And that is just not who we are. Somewhere along the line, what we've got to do is understand that God said, if you're born of God, if you're born again, you overcome the world. Are you getting that? You overcome the world. He goes on and he says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So he links this whole idea of faith to victory. He says, your faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he that believes Jesus is the Son of God. Now, that, that verse of Scripture needs to be drilled in us. It needs to be something we meditate on. It needs to be something we think about, something we speak, something we talk about, and something we live. Can you say amen? Now, this morning, what I want to do is I want to move on in this series on spiritual warfare. And I'm going to look at our spiritual warfare like we did last, light, uh, last week in, in context of our faith. Because I really believe that faith is the, the, it's the uh, epicenter, it's, the, it's ground zero for this battle. I, I would say that our, uh, our faith is what's being attacked. Because the devil knows that our faith is the victory. And so if he can take that away from us, from us if he can undermine it, then guess what? We, we're doomed. We're, you know, we're, we're not going to make it very far. And so faith is really an issue here. Can you say amen? Now, last week, uh, we considered the battle of our faith. How many know faith is a battle? I, I mean, you don't have to be alive very long before you figure out that there are some aspects of faith that we have to wrestle through. I mean, there's some things that God asks us to believe, God wants us to believe, that are a little bit difficult. It's, 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 it's like, you know, I'm wrestling with this as a struggle. And oftentimes we come to that place of struggle and, and we're, we're taken aback by it. We're like, what's going on? Why, why am I struggling? Sometimes we think that if we had mature faith, there would be no struggle. So what we do is we measure our faith. We measure the effective, effectiveness of our faith based on whether we're in a battle or a struggle or not. And that is simply a lie from the pit of hell. 
Because what he's doing is he's saying, look, if you really had mature faith, then you wouldn't be having all this struggle. No, no, Paul wrote to Timothy, and he says, listen, fight the good fight of faith. Why did he say that? He says, because you know what? Sometimes faith is a fight. Sometimes what you got to do is just, you know, roll up your sleeves and get down and dirty in the dirt and say, you know what, we're, we're going to go round and round here, but I'm winning this battle. And the reason is, is because I'm born of God and I overcome. And that's my victory. My faith is my victory. My, the fact that I have faith in God. Can you say amen? Now, contrary to popular belief, we are not supposed to be a punching bag for the devil. Are you hearing me? The problem is, and this is, this is why I get um, um, a little bit concerned, is because oftentimes what I see is I see Christians that are taking shot after shot after shot with no resistance. It's, it's not the fact that we take shots. That's not the problem. The problem is, is we seem to take it as if that's the way it's supposed to be. Right. Listen, that's not the way it's supposed to be. You are not a thermometer. You are not simply to right. react to your surroundings. You are called to change your surroundings. Can you say amen? amen. And that's what this sermon's all about. Is it's, it's, it's about getting up and facing that battle and saying, I am going to win. No, no, no. Let, let me rephrase that. I have won. Amen. It's really about bringing to what I am in position, what, what Christ did through his salvation, through his work on the cross and position and bringing it into my reality. It's what I am there needs to come here. I need to see myself as God sees me. When God looks at you, he, he doesn't see, you know, you know, a wasted, useless sinner that can't get through life. He sees his child. He sees sons and daughters of the Most High. Can you say amen? Equipped and fully empowered for victory. And that's what we need to see. We've been called to be conquerors, to walk in victory, to be victorious over every adversary. Christianity is a life of victory. And we must engage in this battle with that knowledge. Saying, you know what? I'm going to battle, but I'm coming out the winner. Can you say amen? Now, in our text, in this, in this uh, verse of Scripture in 1 John, it's revealing some things to us. And it speaks to us about continuous victory. It's, it's really found, when you really begin to study out what's being talked about, it's, it's found in an atmosphere that has a mind that has been stayed on Christ. It's a mind that says, you know what, I'm considering Jesus. I'm going to look towards Jesus. My victory is my faith in Jesus. And it, it's a, it, it reveals to us that what we need is a radical reliance on Jesus. When I say radical, what I'm talking about is that there are no other options. I think that's the problem with a lot of us is we just have other options. You know, when we're confronted with something, we, it's like, well, okay, I'll, plan B. Okay, I'm just going to go to plan B. If plan B don't work, I'll, I'll go to plan C. And if plan C, I, I, I'll, get, I'll get through this. And faith ends up becoming muted. It, it, it becomes homogenized. It, 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 it's thinned. How many know I mean? how, how many's ever drank something like, like coffee? How many enjoy a good, strong cup of coffee? Now, I'm not that kind of guy. I like weak coffee, but my wife likes coffee that, like, I mean, like tar. It's, it's beyond cowboy coffee. How many cowboy, you know, you, cowboy coffee is, you, you, got, you got to pick the grounds out of your teeth. You know, it's, it's like coffee, just thick. It's, you got to cut it. And then you get somebody that makes really, you know, I have a friend that says, if you could see the bottom of the cup, it is too weak. Well, that's, I kind of like tea, you know. I'm, I'm, more, I'm more sophisticated. <laughs> but the reality is, is that's what happens to our faith. It, it just it gets milk toast because of the options. It's like, well, I, I believe God, but, you know. Now, I'm not saying that God can't provide options, but let him be the provider. Can you say amen? amen. Somewhere our faith has to be 
rich and vibrant. Listen, your faith this morning is going to be only as strong as the object your faith is in. Are you hearing me? Listen, too many people are putting faith in too many other things. So I don't do that. I, I have faith in Jesus until it don't work. I'm just, I'm just being honest. So how do you know that? Well, because I struggle. I, that's the struggle. It's like, no, put it back here. That's the fight, isn't it? It's keeping my faith in Christ. Living by faith is not an option. It's not an option for, uh, uh, it, it's the only way. That's right. That's, it's, it's what he said to do. It's a way of life. See, faith is seeing the invisible. Faith is believing the improbable. Faith is asking the unthinkable. And celebrating when God turns the impossible into reality. I remember hearing a, about a guy one time, he was praying, talking to God, and he was saying, you know, God, I just, you know, for a long time in my life, I've, I've, I've believed you. I've believed you to do things, and you, it doesn't seem like you're answering me. And God spoke to him, and he says, the problem is, is, is you're believing things that you can do. He goes, with your plans, I'm not needed. He said, with what, what you, you're, you're believing only what's accomplished or, or, or you have the ability to accomplish. He said, you need to believe something that I can do. Something that only I can do. That's the kind of faith he's talking about. Can you say amen? amen. Listen, in Matthew 17, 20, listen to what Jesus says. He says, I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So here's the question this morning. When trouble comes your way, is, is the mountain moving your faith? Or are you using your faith to move the mountain? And I know there's always, there's always somebody, somebody today is going to go out in that parking lot and look at those mountains and go move in Jesus' name. <laughs> And, you know, you're going to be disappointed. He said, well, wait a second, preacher, you said. No, see, you need to understand, you need to rightly divide the word of truth. If that mountain is an obstacle in your way, it can move. You're not going to use your faith as a cheap parlor trick. Nor are you going to use your faith to prove your faith is real. Somewhere along the line, what you got to do is say, you know what, God, I get it. When there's something standing in my way, when there is something that is blocking my progress, I can speak to that thing, and it just takes a little bit of faith, and it will be gone in Jesus' name. Are you hearing me? See, faith is the victory that overcomes. But that doesn't mean that hell's not going to take a shot at you. But he will be unsuccessful. Don't, don't, don't be surprised if there is a struggle. There will be a struggle. But whatever is born of God overcomes the world. See, and the devil knows that. that that's why he takes his shots at you. It's so that he can convince you that you don't have faith or that your faith is not up to the challenge, as it were. But listen, you may get knocked down, but you won't get knocked out. You know, it's, have you ever seen those movies where, you know, somebody comes up, they're in a bar fight or whatever, and he hits the guy, wham, right in the face, and the guy just goes, mm. You go, uh-oh. See, that's what's got to happen. You, you got to have the devil hit you as hard as he can. Pow! And you just look back at him. And he, go, he gets a little nervous about that, you know what I'm saying? And that's what Paul writes, he says in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, we're pressed on every side by troubles, but we're not crushed and broken. He says, we're perplexed, but we don't give up and quit. He says, we're hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up again and again and again and again. That's taking a shot. He says, because I know that this trouble, this struggle is working something out not just here, but in glory as well. 
He says, it's working for me. This is, this is, this is God at work in my life. You say, what? what? I remember one time complaining, and I know that's hard for you to think that I ever complain. <laughs> but I was complaining one time to God, and I said, why all of the struggle? Why? Why can't we just have it night? Why can't it just be easy? And God spoke to me, and he said, you know, John, he says, the, the strength you gain in the struggle is the strength you use to keep the victory. And I realized that there's a purpose in all of this, but at the end of the day, no matter what, no matter how many times I fall, I get up. What does that mean? That means that we have a faith that overrides and supersedes every attack, every event, every circumstance, every dilemma that Satan would throw at us. Listen, let me get the, let me say this. The only way the devil can win is if you surrender. If you surrender, the devil wins. If you quit and say, I've had enough. But as long as you stay in the game, as long as you continue to go forward, you win. Why? Because we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors in Christ. So now, this morning, what I want to do is I want to take a closer look at this faith that overcomes the world. In the book of Romans, in chapter 4, Paul gives us some tremendous insight into the workings of faith, how faith really works through what Abraham learned in his faith walk. So I want to take a few moments, if we can, and I want to look at Abraham's faith. Now, remember, Abraham was given a promise 25 years before it was fulfilled. Isn't that the... That, that's my pet peeve. It's like, sometimes, and I, it's, it's, sometimes I got to be careful. I get these little checks like, shut up. You know, it's the Holy Spirit. But, you know, so, sometimes I, I'm like, God, why'd you tell me if it's going to be 25 years? You know, I'd rather not know. You know, at least I could just, you know. But see, he's wanting to do something. See, he tells Abraham, in fact, he changes his name. He says, Abram, you're no longer going to be Abram. You're going to be Abraham. You're going to be the father of many nations. Now, in, when the promise came, even at that time, the promise was still unlikely. Remember, because when it was fulfilled, Abraham was 100. So when he got the promise, he was 75. I guarantee you, at 52, I ain't having no more kids. We're done. I, at 45, we were done. It, was, it's, it, ain't, it ain't happening. We were through. I, I don't... It's great having grandkids. You know why having grandkids is so great? They're temporary at your house. They stay a little while, and then they go home. You love them. You enjoy them. You load them up with sugar and send them home. That's what we do. And grandchildren are great. If I knew it was that good, what's the old saying? I'd have started there first. But here's Abraham. He gets this promise. And even when he got the promise, it was highly unlikely in human terms because even Sarah, you know, Sarah was like, I think she was 60 or somewhere along the line. I, I, I forget how old exactly she is, but she's, she's kind of old too, you know. I'm not, I'm not saying 60 is real old, but, you know, I'm, I'm only eight years from it. But, you know, the, the reality is, is it's baby days are probably over. You know what I'm saying? And the years pass. And it becomes more and more unlikely. And then they had, a, you know, they thought, well, we'll just help God. So they interfered a little bit. You know, remember Hagar? Sarah's handmaiden, she come up with an idea. Not, not Hagar, but Sarah says, I'll tell you what, Abraham, I got an idea. And Abraham was all on board with the idea. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. And then, you know, it didn't turn out to be a good idea, did it? Created some friction that we're still dealing with today. But can you imagine the battle that went on? I mean, because look at this promise to Abraham. This wasn't just a light promise. This, this dynamic, I mean, having a child was important in those days. Having an heir, a son, it gave them purpose. Sonship in, in, in them and, and fatherhood was really linked to their identity and purpose. 
Without a son, they had no one to give their, they had no heir. They had no one to give their inheritance to. And, and for women, they, the, the reason they had value was to bear children in those days. I'm not saying that's right, but it was simply the culture of the day. And somewhere along the line, everything that they were and who they were and what their purpose on earth was wrapped up in this child that they were supposed to have. And so years pass. Can you imagine the battle? This is a fight. So Abraham had to learn some things. And the first thing that he learned, I believe, is that he learned that faith really is at the heart of spiritual warfare. But he also learned that faith is the key to everything. You know, that's the funny thing about preachers. We're always coming up with keys. You know, we got sermons, you know, four keys to prosperity, nine keys to deliverance, 15 keys to a better marriage. After a while, we got a key ring about nine feet in diameter with all these keys on it. Well, let me tell you something. Let me help you whittle all of that down. There's really one key that is the pass key. It's the master key. It's the key that opens every door, and it's the key of faith. Faith is the strength of everything. Everything swings on our faith. Can you say amen? amen? Now, listen to me. Faith is a muscle. You've got to understand this. Faith is a muscle that must be exercised. This is the problem, church. We don't, we're, a lot of us, we're, we're, we're grown adults in, in our, in our uh, Christian walk, but we've never exercised our faith. We, we've never challenged our faith. You know, little Oliver, little Titus, when they were born, do you know they had every muscle that you and I have? What's the difference? It was undeveloped. The, the, the tragedy of life would that they would, be, they would grow into adulthood and never challenge their muscles. We, we would look at that and we would say that that's abnormal. So it is with our faith. You say, well, what do I got to do? You've got to understand this about faith, that it's at the heart of spiritual warfare, and it's also the key to everything, and you're going to have to challenge your faith. You're going to have to exercise and develop your faith. Now, in Romans chapter 4, it's interesting. There's some interesting verses that I, I want you to listen to. Because in verse 16, and I'll be reading from the Amplified Bible, he says this, Therefore... Inheriting the promise is the outcome of faith and depends entirely on faith. Now, we know that in this story, Abraham was given a promise. Listen to what he said. Inheriting the promise, making the promises of God yours, is the outcome of faith and depends entirely on faith. What is faith? Faith is belief in action. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, it's this. If, if I came to you and I was starving to death, and you said, hey, John, I have some food that will keep you from dying, and then you brought it to me and we sat down at the table and we begin to strike up a conversation about how much we believe that food will keep me from dying. We can talk about our belief in that food until the moment I die. Because belief ain't going to get the job done. I'm going to have to actually eat the food. I'm going to have to take what I believe and make it a part of me. That's how you exercise faith. A lot of people say, well, I believe God, but they don't put that in. And they're wondering, where is the promise? Well, it depends on more than belief. It's, it's this thing that says, there is no other option for me. I trust God. Don't care what I see. Don't care what I feel. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the Bible says, But without faith it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In this verse of Scripture, God says, Look at even our relationship is going to hinge on faith. Now, here's the good news. The Bible says that God gives every man the measure of faith. What does that mean? That means that God requires something of you, but he will give you what he requires. He says, I give bread to the eater and seed to the sower. And he gives the measure of faith to every person. I don't care who you are in this place. You have the measure of faith in you. All you have to do is exercise that faith. We need to learn to make this faith a reality in our lives. Can you say amen? Amen. 
Now, if you study the Word of God, you're going to find out that faith, in order for it to be faith, has to have a solid foundation. It must be grounded. It must be rooted in something that is stable. What is that? Well, it's the Word of God. It has to have an object. It has to have a basis to it. See, the power of faith lies in what it is looking to, its object. Faith in itself is nothing better than a tool or an instrument that it, from which it derives its power. So if your faith is in something that's shifting, shifting sand, well, that guess what your faith is going to be? It's going to be shifting sand. It's going to change. Somewhere what we have to do is we have to put our faith in something that's real. Listen to what Abraham did. He didn't simply believe in a promise. I think this is the mistake. We, oh, I believe in the promises of God. Good. I'm glad. But he believed in the God who made the promise. His faith was rooted and grounded in God. Romans 4, 21 says, fully satisfied and assured that God was able and mighty to keep his word and to do what he had promised. So he took it a step further. You know, in the last couple of years, I've had opportunity to exercise this in my own life. There's been times where I'm believing God for a promise, a particular promise in the church. Something that we need God to do in the church. It's beyond our ability, and, and the temptation was for me to get up behind this pulpit and begin to put that weight on you as if you were the source. God says, don't do that. They're not the source. I'm the source. And the temptation is, is well, you got to do this, and you got to do that, and you got to do this, and you got to do that. No, what I need to do is put my faith I need to radically depend on his word and him. Can you say amen? That he's coming through. See, too often the basis of our faith is on circumstances. It's based on what's going on around us. We look at the things going around us and we try to logically interpret our faith. You will never, listen to me, write this down if you're taking notes, you will never logically interpret faith. Faith, on a human level, is illogical. It doesn't work out. Why would you trust something that you can't see? Why would you trust a word that's not yet happened? Because he said it, and I trust it. I've made a decision that this is the word of God, and this is our greatest struggle. What is going to be the object of our faith? What's going to hold the attention of your faith? There's a story about a journalist that was in the Jerusalem office of their news outlet. And she was excited about this new posting. And she rented an apartment uh, that overlooked the famous Wailing Wall. And every day she would look out her window and she would see this old Jewish man praying vigorously. So one day, curious about the man, she went down and introduced herself to the man. She says, I notice you come here day after day to pray. How long have you been doing that? And what are you praying for? The old man replied, I've come here every day for 20-some years. And in the morning I pray for world peace. And then I pray for the brotherhood of man. And then I go home and have a cup of tea. And I come back and pray for the eradication of illness and disease from the earth. And the journalist was amazed. How does that make you feel coming here every day for 20-some years praying for such noble things? The old man looked at her sadly and says, like I'm talking to a wall. I wonder how many of us have felt that way. See, this is the struggle. Is that, is that too honest? That's the, that's the struggle is, a, is we go into the prayer room or our prayer closet or wherever it is you pray, and we pray and we labor week after week, day after day, month after month, believing God in prayer, only to leave that place of prayer feeling like we did nothing more than talk to the wall. And we've all felt that way. And the problem is that we've placed our faith in the wrong things. So how do you know that? Because it's a thing of perspective. See, Abraham learned 
to strengthen his faith by altering his perspective. In Romans 4.19, he says, And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. In other words, he says, You know what? I am not going to consider the problem. I am going to consider the answer. So in other words, his focus was not on the problem. His focus was on God's answer, on God who was able to answer. This word consider, it literally means to pay attention to, to observe, to understand. See, we understand the problem far too much. We need to understand the answer. Can you say amen? In Romans 4, 20 and 21, he said he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to form, perform. This word waver is interesting because it means to stagger or to doubt, but it also has the connotation of negotiate and mediate. What is he saying? He's saying too often what happens is we get into this place of prayer. We don't see the immediate answer. There is a delay. Our faith is challenged. We struggle in our faith. And so what we do, rather than keeping our faith in its object, God, we begin to negotiate a strategy. We begin to say, well, you know, I come up with an accommodating theology. So what we do is we cause the word of God to change to our circumstance. I guess God doesn't heal no more. I guess, I guess God doesn't meet needs anymore. I, I guess God's not in the salvation business. I, I, I guess God's distant. I guess he doesn't want to talk. God must be mad at me. That's it. That's it. I'm just a dirty, rotten, ugly sinner, and that's why he don't do anything for me. It's accommodating theology. What are we doing? We're negotiating. We're staggering. It's like, wait a second, his promise, listen, his promise and the fulfillment of it doesn't have anything to do with you other than your faith walk. (laughs) We say things like, I'm saved, and that's, you know, I'm saved by grace, unmerited favor, undeserved favor. But everything else, you better deserve it. (laughs) Come on now. We can't, come, we can't come up with accommodating theologies to suit our circumstances. We need to hold to the word and change our circumstances. Can you say amen? amen. In James 1, 5 through 8, he says this. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is double-minded. He is a a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. What is that saying to us? This is talking about the context of direction and wisdom, but it applies. When we ask in faith, we can't doubt. We can't go, well, I'm not sure. We need to be convinced, fully convinced that God's coming through. Time is irrelevant. So many times we undermine and overturn our faith because we have considered our senses greater than what God has said. We have a need and a responsibility to know the word concerning our issue, don't we? To find out what God says about our situation and then stand upon that. That's what he's saying to us. Don't be driven and tossed. See, if you put your faith in something that's going to slide, you will slide. But put your faith in something that's stable. God said, I shall meet all your need according to my riches and glory by Christ Jesus. That's enough for me. I don't care. I don't care. Well, you know, we just didn't get enough this week. So what? I'm not going by that circumstance. Is it a struggle? Yes. That's hence the point. I'm bringing it back. I got to struggle through this and say, you know what? I am going to stand on the word. 
Abraham didn't simply believe in the promise. He believed in the God who made the promise. And he strengthened his faith by altering his perspective. And then Abraham learned the power of confession through God's example. Watch this. Romans 4.17 says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. What is God saying? He says, I saw something that did not exist, and I spoke the word of God. That's faith. Confession is a catalyst for our faith. How do you know that? Well, the Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those that love it will eat its fruit. I'm going to tell you something today, Christian. The reason we struggle in faith is because of this little two-inch zip between, but under our nose. Well, I just got to tell you about the problem. I don't want to know about the problem. I want to know about the answer. Now, am I saying deny the problem? No, I'm not saying deny it. God doesn't deny the problem. Once we've established there's a problem, yep, there it is. Okay, all right. You're 100 years old. You're going to have a baby. Problem. God (laughs) said he gives life to that which is dead and speaks those things that are not as though they are. Do you know you have that power? That's when you go when you go into a restaurant and you got a really really surly waitress. You can look at her and go, "You are doing a great job." That's speaking what's not as though it is. And I guarantee you, I've tried it and it changes them. I've had people come into my office, madder and a hornet, and I just look at them and go, man, you're a good person. I love you. Changes everything. Why? Because I have that power. I have that. I've been invested with that. He says, you will be justified or condemned by the words of your mouth. Success or failure is going to be how you speak. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 and 23, he says, Let us draw near with a true heart of full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Hold fast. He says, you know what? I'm holding fast how I talk. Do you know you will never rise above the level of your confession? You'll never rise above the level of your confession. Your confession will be a self-imposed boundary. Amen. It's true. Our confession will either imprison us or it will set us free. Let me show you how important this thing of of confession is. In Romans 10, 8 through 10, it says, but what does it say? talking about the word. The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now listen. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That should arrest us. The word of faith. The word you speak. Jesus put it this way. He says, according to your faith, so be it. Your faith is governed by the words you speak. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's the key? How do we fix this? Put the word of God in your heart. Keep putting it in, putting it in, putting it in. Why? Because that's eventually that's what you'll talk. It will change the aspect of your life. So Abraham didn't just simply believe in a promise. He believed in the God of the promise. He strengthened his faith by altering his perspective. He learned the power of confession. 
And Abraham was not moved by unbelief, but instead he gave glory to God. Look at verse 20, uh, Romans 4.20 says this, No unbelief or distrust made him waver or stagger concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong and was empowered by faith as he gave praise and glory to God. It's a key. Abraham didn't stumble. He didn't vacillate. He didn't negotiate. He didn't look back. He didn't regret. He stayed fixed on the one who was able to fulfill the promise. He praised him. He worshiped him. He magnified him. He offered the sacrifice of thanksgiving. The Bible says that he grew strong and was empowered by faith as he praised him. Church, that's, the, that, that's why, listen, I, I, I'm not trying to pick on anybody. And I'm not trying to, that's why it is so imperative that we learn to praise. Praise is the fruit of your lips. Amen. You know, we, we understand this in all aspects of life. You know, we celebrate. We, we are a people of celebration. When, when things, when we get a promotion on the job, we celebrate. When we win a contest, we'll celebrate. When we have children, we celebrate. When we, you know, get married, we celebrate. There, I mean, there's all kinds of things. Our birthday, we celebrate. My wife is informed we, we don't have a birthday anymore. We have a birthday month. Why? Because celebration will continue. But we come into church, and we are overwhelmed with the feelings of self-consciousness. What are they going to think? They already thought it. You came to church. I, I, don't, I don't want to get out of control. What if we get out of control? That ain't our problem. I'm thinking being too controlled is. You, you say, why are you saying, are you trying to just get us wild and crazy? Not just to get wild and crazy. I'm not, I don't want you just to be goofy. That's, that's not what I want. I want you to see the power Amen. in praise. I want some of you Amen. set free. I, you know, I need to pray for some of your feet. You got to get your feet free, Amen. your lips free, your hands free. Well, I don't do that. I'm, I'm, that's, a, that's beneath me. No, no, it ain't. With holy hands lifted high. I guarantee you when you get to heaven, it's going to be a hoedown, man. I'm telling you. And when you've been, hey, think about it this way. Can you imagine, can you imagine being, say, out in the ocean on a little raft for 180 days? You've, you, you've had to catch a couple seagulls and eat raw seagull meat. You, you, you've caught a couple fish and you had to eat the eyeballs. And the only way you could get water is the occasional time that it rained, you were able to catch a little bit of water. And out there, now, now you're... Your skin is leathery from the exposure of the sun and the salt is just all over you. And, and, and you're wondering, is this how I'm going to die? Am I going to die in the middle of nowhere? And then all of a sudden, a, a luxury yacht shows up and they pull up and they lift you out and they prepare a wonderful meal. They give you a bath and, and wonderful things to drink and people are kind to you. I guarantee you, you're dancing on that day. Why? Because you've been saved. You've been, you've, somebody, you were lost and now you're found. Get saved as Christians, it's like, what you doing? I'm praising God. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not picking on anybody, I promise. I, I, I'm picking on me. I find myself, I... I find myself enamored in watching. Sometimes God will nudge me. I'll even feel, I'll even get shoved a little bit. The angel, my great big angel that stands by me, he nudges me. I'll be standing in the back. What you doing? I'm watching. I'm watching you. I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to preach on worship. I'm going to get this place jumping. And God goes, why don't you go jump? I'm, I'm a, little, I'm a little bit off my subject here, but the point is we got to worship him. I'm going to tell you, when you worship him, it will, it will energize your faith. 
It really will. It will energize you. It will empower you. It will change how you see. Are you hearing me? Think about it. Jonah. How many remember Jonah? He wasn't a real good prophet. He's a little prejudiced. When God says, I want you to go to the Ninevites and I want you to preach, no, Jonah didn't want nothing to do it. You know why? It's because he knew if he preached the word of God, they would accept it and get saved. And Jonah wanted them dead. So what Jonah does is he heads the opposite direction. God goes, I, I got a way to deal with this. And what does he do? He prepares a storm and a fish. God has great ways of getting a hold of you. Go ahead, run from God. See where that goes. So what does he do? He gets on the boat. And what did the sailors do when this, this is another sermon, and I will preach it one day, but I'll give you a little. You know what the sailors did when the storm came? See, and this is Christian. This is, this is human nature. They threw everything that was of value off the boat before they got to the problem. They did. Read it. Just go back. Read Jonah chapter 1. When the storm rose, they're throwing, ah, prayer. It don't work anyway. Get out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fellowship. Who needs it? Oh, going to church, I went there 30 years. It didn't do me nothing. Then they got nothing left. They're standing there, storm still raging. Jonah comes up and says, hey, guys, I think I've ticked off my God. What? Yeah, I was supposed to go to Nineveh, but I went the other way. They said, why did you get on our boat? Off he goes. Storm quits. Can you imagine? And they're looking at all their stuff sinking. But Jonah gets in the belly of the fish, doesn't he? And immediately he begins to worship. It's kind of like Verizon. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I got, I got, my, I got my, you got my attention. I got to move here. What's he do? He begins to pray. Chapter 2, verse 9, he says, and he prays, and then he says, and I'm going to offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And just as he begins to do that, the fish spit him up on shore. Jesus is standing in front of Lazarus' tomb, and he says, Father, thank you for hearing me. Lazarus, come forth. After Thanksgiving, Lazarus was raised from the dead. 4,000 men and women, 4,000 men plus women and children were fed one day. Jesus takes the bread, offers Thanksgiving to God, and then breaks the bread. Faith is moved by a heart of worship. Abraham didn't just simply believe in a promise. He believed in God of the promise. He strengthened his faith by altering his perspective. He learned the power of confession. And he was not moved by unbelief, but instead he was moved to give glory to God. And finally, Abraham was obedient to the word of God. See, faith always implies obedience. Noah was standing there one day, and God says, Noah, I want you to build an ark. He says, what's an ark? He says, it's a boat. He goes, what's a boat? He goes, it floats on water. It floats on water. Why do we need that? Because it's going to rain. It's going to rain a lot. Well, it's rain. He said, Noah, yes, just build an ark. <laughs> okay. And Noah, by faith, built an ark. Moses comes before the presence of God, and God sends him back to Pharaoh he says, well, who should I say sent me? And he says, tell him I am. Who's I am? I he goes, God says, I am. It'll get you when you get rid of me. <laughs> By faith, Moses went back. He followed God. The widow woman with Elijah. Elijah comes. This is great. She, and he says, make me first a cake. What? You selfish prophet. Do you know I'm about ready to die? She doesn't do that. She seeks first the kingdom of God. And for three years, her son and herself and the prophet were taken care of. Obedience. Naaman, got to love Naaman. He was a general in the army. He got leprosy. So he hears about Elisha, that he's a man of miracles. So he says, get, go get Elisha so he can pray for me. Elisha doesn't even come. Doesn't even come. Naaman is a little bit incensed. He doesn't have the dignity to even pray for me. Pastor didn't even come lay hands on me. He just sat in his white throne office. <laughs> <Come on. laughs> 
And the servant looked at him and said, you know, if he would have said to do anything complicated, you would. All he told you to do is go dip in the <coughs> Jordan. Naaman finally did it and completely healed. Joshua, God said, walk around the city seven times. See, faith doesn't make sense. But it will accomplish what God has set it to do. It's going to be a battle. And God said, you know what he told those folks with Joshua? He said, don't even talk. Just don't speculate why you're walking around the city. I don't know why we're walking around the city. Walking around the city. Why? It's just we got guns. We got really good guns. We can take them, man. Let's just go. Why are we walking around city? Shh. Just walk. I don't know why God. Maybe he thought you needed exercise. But the point is, is somewhere along the line, it's obedience and faith. Can you say amen? amen. I preach this today. Because every one of these things is an act of faith. And it will change your life. Can you say amen? amen. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you so much for what you're showing us. We thank you, God, for your great grace. And we thank you for your revelation. And Father, today we pray that you would cause these words, God, to rest upon our heart, Lord. That you would make them real in our daily lives. Father, that every day we would put our faith, not just in a promise, but we would put our faith in you. Lord, that we would alter our perspective. Rather than looking at the problem, we would look to you. Lord, that we would learn the power of confession, that we could speak the word and see it come to pass, that we wouldn't be moved by unbelief, but instead we would give glory to you. And Father, that we would be faithful to be obedient to what you've commanded us. Lord, knowing that this is what changes circumstances in our lives. And Father, we're careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't God good this morning? Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet all across this place. Our prayer team is coming. They're going to minister to you. If you have a need of any kind, come on up. Let them pray for you. The rest of you have a...